But the lesson is what we have to keep refreshing and revising. When Ibrahim is blessed with this child at a very, very advanced age. According to some narrations, he himself was 120 years old at that time. <coughs> and his wife, Hadra, was also quite elderly at that time. And apparently there was no hope that they would be blessed with a child. But Allah Ta'ala blessed them with this child. And when Ismail is now born, and can we imagine at this old age, this child is born, what attachment, what love they might have had for this child. And this child is still a little baby, in need of the mother, in need of the father's support. And while this child is a little baby, and at that time the mother requires the support of the father as well to now take care of all the needs of the child, and the command of Allah Ta'ala comes that leave them in this barren place. No vegetation, nothing growing there, there's no water there, there is uh, nobody living there that you can feel little comforted by people's presence, nothing. And Ibrahim Salaam is given the instruction that you have to take your family. Now where is he? He's in Sham, in Syria at that time, where this command came. And in Sham, Sham, Syria was a very lush place. It was to be living in a very luxurious setup at that time, compared to other places. Everything found, whatever the needs were, everything in abundance. And now he's being told, take your family from this place and take them to this barren place. Ibrahim Salatu Salam comes with the Burak and all are mounted on the Burak and they are now moving across and coming to Makkah Mukarramah. Ibrahim Salam is not familiar with what, where this place is, where they are going to be going and he merely has been given the instruction you have to take your family to this place. From the Burak as they are passing several places which from the height they can see, like a person flying on a, in a plane, looks down out of the window, can see small little uh, houses, it's big but from the sky it looks small. Likewise, Ibrahim Salam can see some settlement here, some settlement there. Uh, in these places Ibrahim Salam can see that there are some people living here or there and he asks Ibrahim Salam each time that uh, is this the place that we are going to be coming down to? He says, no, not this place, further ahead. After some time, again he sees another settlement, no, not even here, further ahead, further ahead. Until he comes down and leaves them by, in Makkah Mukarramah, close to where the Kaaba Sharif presently is. And here there is nothing, there is no vegetation, nothing growing, no water, no people. And now this lone woman with an infant child are going to be left behind here. Can we imagine, this is a scene that we can't really appreciate in reality. Many a times something happens, it happens to somebody else. We also feel a little bit of it that person was afflicted with some difficulty, with some hardship, with some challenge. We feel, we feel sympathy for the person. We feel the person's pain to some extent. But we can never know the reality of what that person is going through. That only that person knows. As they say in Urdu, Qabar ka hal murda jane. What is going on in the cover only the person who is inside there knows. Likewise, what is going on in somebody's heart, 
Only he knows. We can only just sympathize from outside. We can guess. But we don't know the reality. The reality of what went through Hajjara at that time, when Ibrahim now starts leaving, and there is this little bit of provision which you know, just get used up and exhausted in a short time. And he is leaving. Hajjara asks that you are leaving us here, you are going away. But he doesn't answer because this was a command of Allah not to say anything. Again, second time. The third time she rephrases the question. And the question is, that is this the command of Allah Ta'ala? Now this is the lesson that we have to keep revising, keep refreshing, and this is the lesson that we learn in this time in particular, this lesson of total submission. Ibrahim was a Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. He had already immediately said Labbaik to the command of Allah Ta'ala to leave his family here. It was not an easy task. This child that's now born, which is so beloved to him, he is so attached, and the command is going to leave this child with his mother in this barren place, no questions asked. No asking what is the logic in this, but does this make sense now, why should I be made to do something like this? Nothing, no question asked. Allah Ta'ala's command, that is it. I must fulfill Allah Ta'ala's command. But now, is the aspect of a woman who is going to be left behind. He's going to go back. And she's going to be left behind with her little child. But her question is that is this the command of Allah Ta'ala? And she gets the reply, the indication that yes. Her response now is that in this case Allah Ta'ala won't allow us to perish. You may go ahead. This is the lesson that we have to reflect on. That she is prepared for what? Prepared to remain totally isolated. Nobody there. Alone. Now she was in a place which was inhabited. She was in a place where she had probably family people around, close by, whoever. She had probably neighbors she knew well. She had friends maybe. Allah knows. But this is normally what would be the case in any inhabited place that a person is living in. You are comfortable where you are. You have, no matter how simple things may be, but home is home and a person feels very much comforted and relaxed in one's own place compared to any other place and from all that brought out into a place where she doesn't even know where she is, which part of the world she is in. She has no idea how she's going to survive here. She doesn't have any idea of what is going to be the fate of her child. All these things are the challenges that she is now going to be facing. And the husband who came and brought them here is going away. And her question is that is this the command of Allah Ta'ala? And when the answer is yes, she is ready for it. I'm going to be alone, no problem. I don't have anybody here to talk to, no problem. What are the means of survival? I can't see anything here, can't think of anything, no problem. Why no problem? Because I am, I am submitting to Allah Ta'ala's command. And when somebody submits to Allah Ta'ala's command, then how can there be any problem? There can be outwardly something that appears to be a problem. But in reality, there is not a problem. The problem is disobedience of Allah. That is the problem. Then yes, there are tests. There are tests of various sorts. The Quran Sharif Allah Ta'ala declares this, وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُورِ وَنَقْسِمْ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ وَالْأَنفُسِ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ وَالْأَنفُسِ Allah Ta'ala says that we will certainly 
test you, we will certainly put you through some trials. Allah Ta'ala protect us and save us. But this is the declaration Allah Ta'ala is making, that from time to time, different people will be tested. So tests will come. But if a person passes the test, there's no problem. A person passes the test, that's a moment of rejoicing. So dunya, many people get tested in many ways. But mashallah, they are those who persevere. And in all those tests, they don't waver one bit from the command of Allah. Now these are the people who are passing. And these people who are passing, they are in no problem. They are passing a test. They are not in a problem. And the day of rejoicing will come. When they pass this test, the day of rejoicing will come right in this world. When the time comes to start departing from this dunya, they already see the angels of Jannah coming to receive them in huge numbers with the fragrance of Jannah along with them. The silken cloths of Jannah coming along. And then all these scenes of Jannah being opened out to them. They are still breathing in this dunya. But the one leg, so to say, is already in Akhirat. person is in the state of now Sakarat. But this Sakarat is that Sakarat which they are more than happy to face because of what they are being shown. And the greetings of the angels and the welcoming of the angels and all the things that are now being presented to them. So already that rejoicing starts. Then the rejoicing continues in the Qabr. And then on the day of Qiyamah they will be gaining the shade of the Arsh of Allah Ta'ala and rejoicing upon rejoicing and the Mubarak water of Kawsar from the hand of Rasulullah Sallallahu and then the Shafaat and the intercession of Rasulullah Sallallahu and then crossing Pulsirat with the speed of lightning the forgiveness of Allah Ta'ala and now entering Jannah without Hisab Kitab Subhanallah can we imagine can we imagine this rejoicing and then on the day of Qiyamah also being gathered with raised with Rasulullah Sallallahu the Sahaba Kiram, all the awliya of the Ummat, and then on the day of Qiyamah, in this comfort and luxury of the Arsh, under the shade of the Arsh of Allah Ta'ala, and then Jannat, and then all the Ni'mat and bounties of Jannat. So now for this little small test, this endless rejoicing, endless happiness. In dunya, a person many a times is rejoicing over something, Somebody is rejoicing over, he passed one exam, he passed his metric, somebody got a degree, somebody something else, he got a promotion at work, somebody uh, got some bonus, so now there is rejoicing, how long it lasts? That rejoicing lasts sometimes, maybe one day, sometimes a few hours, and it's all over. And many a times, because of the lack of deen, because of the lack of deen, Many occasions of rejoicing become the biggest challenges in people's lives and it turns so many families and households upside down. Comes the occasion of a wedding, a nikah. Now a nikah is a very happy occasion. Nabi Wasallam has thought to express happiness. A walima is, now you're feeding people, you feed people on occasions of happiness. When it is a mayat, when it is a funeral, Nabi Wasallam taught the others around you all feed the family of the bereaved. They are in a state of bereavement. They need to be consoled. Don't make them go through all this. Forget feeding others. They shouldn't even be worrying about feeding themselves. You should feed them. So, when there's a bereavement, there's sadness, then there's no feeding there. Where there's happiness, there's feeding. Now, Walima is feeding. 
So that in any case, what the point is, that a nikah will be followed by a walima, which is sunnat, which Nabi Salaam encouraged, has Abdurrahman ibn Awf, awlim walaw bishad. Look, you're a wealthy person, even if you can only, for now, slaughter one sheep, do that and, and feed the people, have a walima. Nabi Salaam himself, after his nikahs, sometimes a very simple walima, called others, whatever food they had, they also put it on the Ghassar Khan. And the simple walima took place, Hazrat Safiya radiallahu in this manner Rasulullah had celebrated the walima of Hazrat Safiya radiallahu The Sahaba who were present all were told, whatever you have, bring it along, all put it together on the Ghassar Khan. And everybody partook of it, and that was the walima. And then Hazrat Zainab radiallahu Nabi Islam himself fed the Sahaba. He said that he fed them that which never happened before. He fed them bread and meat. Bread and meat was fed. So the point is that this is a very happy occasion. But now that happiness stays when it's done in a happy manner. A happy manner in reality is only when Allah and His Nabi Islam are happy. Allah Ta'ala is happy, that's a happy manner. There cannot be happiness if Allah Ta'ala is displeased. An example of this is, like we see our child, we are very upset with that child for whatever reason. He did something, he really created a problem, or he failed his exams, or he damaged something, driving recklessly and he capsized the car and he wrote it off. So now we are grateful, okay, nothing happened to him, we came safe, but we are very upset that why was he driving recklessly? One is that he's now beyond control, something happened without his a deliberate wrongdoing. Now we are very un- unhappy about this. Now we are very upset. Now we are looking at him, he is smiling. We are looking at him and he is smiling. But we know that how upset we are that this person, and for example, he did something worse. Allah forbid, he committed some serious blunder. Deliberately he did something wrong, seriously, and it now created such an embarrassment in the whole community. So what will be our emotion at that time? We would be so displeased, so upset, so angry. And now, despite our anger, we are seeing him being very happy. So what will go through us? That what is wrong with him? He doesn't have any kind of understanding that despite what he's done, and he's feeling still happy about it. That will be a worse crime than what he did previously. Now, any sensible person, when he knows his parents are upset, even if they are upset because they misunderstood something, not because he did something wrong. It happens sometimes. It's a common story, in fact. Parents sometimes become oversensitive. They misread things because of their love, out of, sometimes out of pure love. They become oversensitive to things. They misread things. And as a result, they overreact sometimes. Now they become upset with the child. This happens, unfortunately, many times. But a sensible child will not display any kind of happiness in front of his parents when he knows they are upset with him. He can't be happy at that time. Even if he is right, he can't be happy. If he is a sensible child, he won't do it. He, and if he is 100% sure he was not wrong, the parents are mistaken, then too he will humble himself, he will still do something to try and please them. Now, if we see the child showing happiness, that will enrage us. Now, can we imagine this is, Allah Ta'ala is beyond any comparison, but just to understand in the context of the example that we've taken, Allah Ta'ala is our creator, our sustainer, Allah Ta'ala is our nourisher, we don't sustain our children, 
Allah Ta'ala sustains us, sustains them as well. We are not enabling them to breathe. Allah Ta'ala is enabling them to breathe. We might think we are providing that food, but if Allah Ta'ala doesn't send that rains down and there's a drought, what food are you going to feed them? After they take that morsel into their mouths, we make them digest that food, we enable them to take the nourishment of that food, we make sure that that food goes down correctly down their throats and doesn't go and jam up their air, air passage, cause them to choke and Allah forbid what can happen thereafter. Who makes that muscle go safely down and not end up in the wrong uh, space and block down into the stomach and gets digested thereafter and then provides nourishment to the body. Allah is doing all this. We are not doing it. We can't do one fraction of it. We don't even know how it happens. We got no uh, idea of the processes and the countless processes that take place in this whole uh, digestion itself. So what do we do? We do nothing. We are the entire total slaves of Allah Ta'ala and entirely dependent on Him. Now Allah Ta'ala has commanded us to do something. We displease Him. We do the wrong things. And we still feel happy. We still don't feel any remorse, any regret. Now, unfortunately, when we do things thinking we want to make ourselves happy, despite Allah Ta'ala being displeased with what we are doing. We know Allah is unhappy with this. Allah is displeased. We still persist. So that's what makes happy occasions unhappy. Now that nikah, that wedding, this is a point that we are digressing, but nevertheless an important point to bear in mind. Now that's a happy occasion. But now in order to celebrate this happy occasion in our manner, we are breaking the commands of Allah Ta'ala Trampling the way of Rasulullah doing everything against the Quran and Sunnah, against what is taught to us in Deen. Why? We want to make ourselves happy, we want to make our families happy, we want to make our extended families happy, we want to make our neighbors and friends happy, we want to make the whole community happy, even the maids and servants, we want to make them happy. But Allah Ta'ala is displeased, that's not in our mind at all. If Allah Ta'ala is displeased, then how can anybody be happy? Now in the process of making everybody happy, despite knowing that Allah Ta'ala is displeased with all this, what became the result? How many times that happy occasion became a reason for people's, for family relations breaking up? Family ties broke up in a wedding. Now somebody wasn't happy about how something happened, they stopped talking to the person. Somebody got upset because why I wasn't given this particular uh, Respect in that function, I was just called, but I wasn't told to do this or that, meaning given some kind of prominence. So as a result, that person now became upset. He now stopped talking to the family. Both that person is sinning also, but this person for having done things in a wrong way. If he did things in a right way and somebody got upset, Allah Ta'ala is pleased, he don't have to worry anything about that. Allah Ta'ala is pleased, that's the main thing. So why do these happy occasions become problems? It becomes problems when we do things against the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. So he turns everything down, upside down. So here we were talking about the Hajra Anha. She is going to be left in this place and she is ready for it. She is ready, she is ready to be isolated, ready to be alone, ready to be without any means of survival, ready, ready for all the things that seem so bleak. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala is pleased with this right now. Allah Ta'ala's command, so he is pleased with this. But what was the end result of all this? The end result of this submission was Allah Ta'ala pleased her, pleased her child. Yes, 
there was a brief moment of sacrifice. Can we imagine we run Safa to Marwa under that uh, roof, shelter to Sadafut, then smooth floors, marble floors, then fans blowing at full speed, and now air conditioned, and then water available all the time, right through the entire Sa'i, and all these facilities available, yet it becomes such a challenge sometimes to many people. Let alone we're talking about elderly or sickly people, that's obvious that they find it a challenge. But healthy, well people, but because we're not used to walking in this manner, we're not used to undertaking that kind of walk, so now it becomes a bit of a challenge. With all this comfort, can we imagine under Hajarah And then one is, a person knows I'm walking, I'm going to make the sign now, seven rounds, Safa to Marwa one, then Marwa to Safa two, and this way seven and I'm done. I'll go back and relax. When a person is running up and down in fear, in fear of what? In fear of the life of this child. And no idea what's going to be the outcome. That run is a very different run. Can we imagine that sacrifice? And Allah Ta'ala loved the sacrifice so much that Allah Ta'ala preserved it till Qiyamah. That nobody's Hajj will be complete without making the Sa'i. Nobody's Umrah will be complete without making the Sa'i. So throughout the year, every day of the year, somebody or the other is making Sa'i also. Umrah is carrying on throughout the year. And every day somebody is making Umrah. Not somebody, many buddies, many, many people. And every day, some you go at any time, there's at least some people, they are busy making Sa'i. In the days of Hajj, all the Hadis are gone. But other people who are locals, they come along, they make Umrah, whatever. They're not allowed to go for Hajj, they come make Umrah. Many people. So Allah Ta'ala preserved this. This was a sacrifice. This was the submission that she gave. And in the submission, she undertook the sacrifice. This Sa'i that she made, Allah Ta'ala made that a part and parcel of every Haji's Hajj. Now, Allah Ta'ala became pleased with her. This was not a problem. This was a test. And she passed the test. She passed it with flying colors. And Allah Ta'ala elevated her. Elevated her in dunya. Her name is alive till today. Everybody will remember her. She's remembered throughout the year. And especially in these Mubarak days. But what was the lesson? Submission to Allah Ta'ala. Now in the time and age that we are living in, we are also faced with many, many challenges. Many tests. What is a test? The tests are very, very clear. Everybody is doing things in a certain way. We know what kind of ways. Things that are not in order. Things are not correct. So now, if we don't comply with them, they are going to leave us alone. We are going to be isolated as of the Hajar. Can we even imagine that isolation? We are nowhere close to that. We are millions of light years away from that kind of situation. They might uh, deal with us in a way that we will be abandoned. So the Hadra was abandoned, but that was the manner in which he had to remain there, like as if there's now abandonment, as if there's no support. Allah Ta'ala was with her, but outwardly, the command of Allah Ta'ala was that Ibrahim Salaam must leave, so he had to leave. So he was fulfilling Allah Ta'ala's command and she was fulfilling Allah Ta'ala's command by staying there. Now this is the lesson for us. Sometimes we know this function, what is going to happen there, what kind of intermingling is going to take place, what kind of other situations are going to be there, there's some music going to be played, 
or whatever else which is impermissible. So for the sake of Allah Ta'ala to accept the so-called abandonment that if I don't go, people will make stories, somebody will say something, somebody will uh, pass some comments, somebody will pass some remarks, but for Allah Ta'ala I'm ready for it. Everybody is beginning to dress in a certain way. They are now dressing in certain styles which are obviously no way close to what is the requirement of Haya that Deen has taught us. So now, if we don't dress like that, we'd be regarded as outcasts. People will take us that this person got no sense of style. This person is an outdated person, an out of fashion person. So now, we will be like outcasts. But outcasts from where? If somebody says that, look, everybody is burning here in this fire, we're not going to let you come and burn here. So will somebody be very upset, very, very sad? Look, everybody is burning in the fire, they don't let me come and get burnt also. No sensible person will think in that manner. This too is the same thing, we have to think about it in the same manner. That those who are dressing in a manner that is without haya, those who are going to places which are filled with sin, those who are leading a lifestyle that is away from the way of deen, this is all being in a fire. But it's just that it's not apparent and visible that what is this fire all about. But it's there. One is it makes the heart very restless. The heart becomes restless as a result of this fire which is not visible. And why is this the reality? That this would be the case? Because in the Quran Sharif Allah Ta'ala has spelt it out, Allah bidikrillahi tatma'innul qulub. That with the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, with the heart get peace. This contentment, Allah Ta'ala has kept it in His remembrance, His obedience. And the obedience of Allah Ta'ala will only be when it's done in the way of Rasulullah So then in the tests also a person is at peace. So if the obedience of Allah Ta'ala is a guarantee of peace, then the disobedience of Allah Ta'ala will guarantee the opposite. It will guarantee restlessness. It will guarantee all kinds of heartache. Because it's opposites. Obedience, obedience is peace. So disobedience will be the opposite of peace. So that is one part of the fire. The other is that sometimes Allah Ta'ala protect us, these kind of things happen some places. There's a gas leak. Some gas cylinder or something has been leaking. Now, that gas that is leaking the gas that we use at homes and so on, as soon as it starts leaking, the first thing is that a person gets the smell of it. The reality is, according to one person who explained this to me, he said that that smell that is in there, that smell of that gas is actually added to it as a safety factor. Otherwise, the gas that is filled in these household cylinders and so on, the natural, well, the form of it without this modification is actually without the smell. But because it's such a dangerous thing, this is a kind of safety feature that has been put to it, so that as soon as it's, there's a gas leak, people will be alerted to it. It's such a dangerous thing. I imagine if it was leaking and there's no smell also, person will never know. But now what happens? The whole environment, the atmosphere gets filled with that gas. But you can't see it. And now you can't smell it also. So you carry on like everything is fine. Everything looks very fine because now you can't see any gas. You can't smell the gas also. You're walking around comfortably. 
And then somebody just lit a match. But now the gas is all over the place. What happens? The whole place instantly is on fire. Sometimes the person left the gas stove on. Now without lighting the flame. So now the gas comes around. It's a very dangerous thing to just put a match on there. Because the whole place can catch a light. Now here the whole house is filled with this gas. But the person can't see it, can't smell it. One little spark and the whole place will be an inferno in moments. So this is exactly the situation the Mashaif explained that sins are a gas, a spiritual gas. But it's not visible. It cannot be perceived here in dunya. But when a person's eyes close, then that lighter is lit. Then the cover already becomes an inferno. Allah Ta'ala protect us. And Qiyamah Jahannam already is an inferno for him. That is the gas of the sins. The gas of the sins now is going to become the inferno. So, this is the aspect that we need to bear in mind. That when others are doing things which are against Sharia and Deen, and we are being left out, we are actually being left out of this gas, we are being left out of this fire. It's not something to feel sad about. It's not something to feel hurt about. It's something to be very happy that we could say, Allah Ta'ala saved us, to be grateful. So, this we learn from this lesson of Ibrahim and his family, that what is the submission that we should be having to all the commands of Allah Ta'ala. It's time for Salah, the submission that's required, that now we fulfill the command of Allah Ta'ala. It's time for fulfilling the other obligations of Deen, we are ready. It is the requirement of deen that how we should be dressing, we are ready to fulfill the requirements of deen, to maintain that haya in dressing. Otherwise the trend, we have discussed this, I'm just recalling now at this very venue, previously also, but this is a topic that cannot be overemphasized, the aspect of haya. Unfortunately it's dying out in the Ummah, already died out in many cases, we have to bring it alive. And likewise all the other aspects of deen, to bring this alive, to bring alive the entire lesson of submission to Allah wa ta'ala, to the way of life of Rasulullah and in that way we will enjoy this life of dunya also, and the real enjoyment and place of celebration is the akhirat. So this hajj, <coughs> on the one hand it gives us this tremendously great lesson, this lesson of submission. Total submission to Allah wa ta'ala. Then this Qurbani, MashaAllah, most people would be performing this Qurbani, again the same lesson of submission. Ismail Salatu Salam submitting himself to be slaughtered. Ibrahim Salam submitting himself to slaughter his own son. Allah Ta'ala didn't want this to happen. Allah Ta'ala didn't allow it to happen. But at that stage they were not aware of it, that this won't happen. The command, they were ready to do it. The same lesson that we have to apply to our lives. That these temptations will come. Ibrahim obviously was naturally inclined to save his son. But when the command of Allah came that he has to be slaughtered, now nothing can come in the way of that. Now that has to be done. Despite the natural love, despite that natural grief that will come upon losing the son. But all that in his place, he has to do what he has to do. So likewise, we too have to learn to put the knife on all our desires which are not in conformance to deen. So the desires that want us to now 
do things, which want us to go to places, to say things, to conduct ourselves in a particular way, but those things which are not in accordance to what Allah has commanded in the way of Rasulullah then to put the knife on all that. So this is not just something that is a customary thing, just something that uh, is a ritual. No, there's a very deep lesson in it. And we should be conscious of this lesson. We should conscientize our children about this lesson. That this is actually putting a knife on our desires that don't conform to the commands of Allah Taala. So nevertheless, the Hajj is filled with all these lessons. Just to round up this topic, there's some of the lessons that Rasulullah taught us about Hajj. In one hadith, Nabi Sallallahu has given the virtue of Hajj, Al-Hajj al-Mabroor, Laysa lahu jaza'un illa al-Jannah. That the Hajj al-Mabroor, we give people dua also, Allah will give you Hajj al-Mabroor, etc. So this is a very great dua. But what is Hajj al-Mabroor? So the Sahaba also were eager to know. So they inquired, Mama Birbuha ya Rasulullah, O Nabi Allah, what is this Bir? What is this? Mabroor comes from Bir. Bir means virtue. So hajj filled with virtue. So what is this hajj filled with virtue? So this hajj filled with virtue, there are so many things that could have been mentioned, but we would think should have been mentioned. But Nabi also mentioned three things. And these three things are such that those are, these are virtues that can be done anywhere in the world. There are some amal of hajj that can only be done there. Today the Hujjajah in Arafat, there is no wukuf anywhere else but in Arafat. It can't happen anywhere else in the world. But certain things which Nabi Islam is describing as the special virtues of Hajj, these are things that can be done anywhere in the world. What are these virtues of Hajj which make this Hajj mabrur, which enhance this Hajj? Obviously the Haji is going to fulfill all the requirements of Hajj. He's going to make Tawaf, he's going to make Sa'i, he's going to stand in Arafat, he's going to go to Mina, he's going to make the Rami of the Jamarat, Whatever else is required of him, he's going to do all these things. That goes without saying. What is going to be something that's going to enhance this Hajj further? So three things Nabi Islam mentions. And the main thing is the lesson that we want to draw from this. What are the three things? In the two different ahadis, these three things put together are mentioned. One is ifshaw salam. Making salam common. Assalamu alaikum, greeting people. So those who is permissible to greet, obviously. So greeting people, making salam to them. What does salam do? Salam generates muhabbat. أَوَلَا أَدُلُّكُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ إِذَا فَعَلْتُمْ مُوهُ تَحَابَبْتُمْ أَفْشُ السَّلَامُ بَيْنُكُمْ Nabi Islam says, you cannot enter Jannah until you bring Iman. And you have not really brought Iman until you love one another. Your Iman is still deficient. The Iman is still not perfected. Until there is love and mahabba for one another. And what is going to be the prescription that will bring this mahabba alive? Nabi Islam says, make salam common. One is to make salam to those who we know very well only. And those who are our family or friends. But salam to every Muslim sister. For the sisters, every Muslim sister salam. And to our mahrams, obviously salam. To bring salam alive. Many times we're probably talking to somebody on the phone or somebody has phoned us and salam gets left. Or we're meeting somebody, we start talking about things and we forgot the salam. Or somebody entered their own house, didn't enter with salam. Whereas Allah is giving us this 
in the Quran Sharif, Iza dakhaltum muyutan fasallimu ala anfusikum. So to bring salam alive. The salam is a means of peace. It's a means of barakah and blessings. So what does salam do? Salam generates muhabbat. It generates love. Generates good feeling between people. If somebody walks in and you are sitting somewhere, and the person doesn't greet you. He just walks by. So, now you know the person, the person knows you. And the person just walked past. So what does that do? What kind of feeling it creates in the heart? First you might think, okay, this person maybe didn't realize I was sitting here. But then you see, but our eyes met, we saw each other. So how can you not know I was sitting here? And then maybe you even said, Salaam Alaikum. He didn't, didn't reply to that also. Now that becomes a very, very sore thing in anybody's heart. That this person just ignored my Salaam. Or he didn't even greet me. Now, when that is the effect of not making Salaam, if Salaam is made sincerely, the effect will be the total opposite. It will generate Muhammad. It will generate love. When it's not done just as a ritual. But it's done sincerely, wholeheartedly. So, Salaam Salam engenders love and muhabbat. Then the second thing, Nabi Islam says, it'am ta'am, feeding people. Whenever there's some kind of occasion, some function, some visitors have come home, somebody has come to whatever, some work sometimes, but you don't want to let the person go without feeding them something. And if it's a happy occasion, then the preparations are more elaborate. You want to feed something even better. Why? Because this feeling creates happiness. Now, somebody feeds us, we start feeling very inclined to the person, feeling very happy with them, feeling very, very comfortable that this person, mashallah, is so hospitable, etc. So what feeling does also? Feeling does the same thing. Among the various other benefits, feeling also creates muhabbat. It generates this muhabbat and love. And then the third thing Nabi Islam says this as what is the thing that will enhance this Hajj? Tibul Kalam. Tibul Kalam, uh, talking in kind words, gentle words. Now this is a lesson not confined to Hajj. It's not only when a person was gone for Hajj, then this person must do that there. As soon as they come back home, they must start shouting and screaming and start talking in all kinds of other languages also. No, Tibur Kalam is for every place, every time. To talk gently, in kind words, to talk in a way that is going to create good feeling. Again, the same lesson. What does this do? Talking in kind words, talking in a way that brings happiness to the hearts of people. It also creates muhabbat. It creates love. This is the lesson of Hajj. That all the things that Rasulullah described as being the means of making that Hajj Mabrur. And where in a place where the person is surrounded by millions of people or one to million people, so this huge crowd and 98%, 99% of the crowd, they are strangers to one. person probably doesn't even know 1% of them. He knows a fraction of them. If out of 1 million, if he knows 25,000, you say 10,000 people, out of 1 million, if he knows 10,000 people, he knows 1%. Now there's 2 million people there. And he doesn't even know, probably know 1,000 people there. So what fraction of the people he knows? And in this gathering, 
where he is surrounded by strangers, all the lessons of muhabbat are being taught. That this is what's going to make this hajj mabroor. So now to what extent this muhabbat has to be then enhanced with those who are near. These are all strangers, but you must make uh, do things that will enhance muhabbat between them. So with one's family, one's relatives, to what extent one has to now make an effort to generate this muhabbat. This is a lesson of the hajj. This is something we can practice on right here and we should be practicing on. And this is a lesson of qurbani as well. The lesson of qurbani in one hadith Rasulullah mentioned that there is no amal more beloved to Allah ta'ala on the day of qurbani than the amal of slaughtering animals for Allah ta'ala. There is no amal that is greater than this. All the other amal, obviously the faraiz are faraiz, but thereafter somebody decides I am going to make tilawat the whole day. MashaAllah, excellent. But the reward of that tilawat is not as great as the reward of qurbani. So yes, a person must make tilawat also, God means, must make the filsala also, but that on the day of qurbani, the greatest amal is qurbani. But then Rabbi Islam says there is one thing beyond that too. Except if a person is now joining some family tie, there was some family relationship that was broken. And the person on this occasion, he went ahead to join ties with somebody who broke ties from him. That amal is even greater than the qurbani also. Subhanallah. Can we imagine, no amal can touch the reward of qurbani on the day of Eid, the day of Eid al-Adha and the days of qurbani. That is beyond every nafil. Somebody can make tilawat the whole day, he'll get rewarded tremendously. Imagine for every letter he's getting 10 rewards. So how many rewards he giving on khatam that whole day? Tremendously great. But qurbani is still beyond that. And joining family ties is beyond qurbani. So can we imagine the reward of this? So this is an occasion to learn this lesson of hajj and practice it. This lesson of muhabbat. This lesson of maintaining, joining family ties. Enhancing family relationship. Yes, but in all that, the primary thing is a submission to Allah. That's the primary thing. Within that limits of submission to Allah, what Allah has permitted, within those limits and boundaries, then whatever a person can do to enhance this muhammad, whatever a person can do to join these family ties, but not in a manner that breaks the ties of Allah. Within the limits of deen, the person is going ahead to join family ties, to do whatever else is necessary. In this way, the person will be gaining these tremendous rewards, and the person will be even doing something greater than Qurbani also. Qurbani is wajib. If wajib on somebody, they have to do the Qurbani. They can't avoid it. A wajib has to be fulfilled. But this is also to be done and it's even greater than that Qurbani as well. So Allah give us the topic of fully imbibing our hearts with this lesson of submission. May Allah make us completely submissive to every command of His. Make us completely subservient to the way of Rasulullah and Allah make us those who love this muhammad, who generate this muhammad with others, who become the means of making or joining these ties, not the means of cutting ties. Allah bless us, grant us the barakah of these Mubarak days, all the great blessings that are being showered down. Allah bless us as well and bless the entire moment. اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا أحشي سنعت عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك
جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله اللهم افتح لنا بالخير واختم لنا بالخير واجعل عاقب أمورنا بالخير بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير ربنا هب لنا من أزواجنا وذرياتنا قرة عالم واجعلنا للبتقين إماما ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر عنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار ربنا وآتنا ما وعدتنا على رسلك ولا تخزنا يوم القيامة إنك لا تخلف الميعاد اللهم إنا نسألك من خير ما سألك منه نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ونعوذ بك من شر مستعاذ نبيك وحبيبك سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم أنت المستعان وعليك البلاغ ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه معين الحمد لله